chapter 14. And in chapter 14, we are going to learn more about the Bainanese. Yeah. Uh, chapter 14 is a very special chapter. Because this is the first chapter where the author of it tells us what we should be doing. You notice that throughout the cl- these tiny classes, um, we've avoided saying what one should do, we're just describing, like, this is the, fa- these are, this is the case, the situation, this is the reality of things. Now we're going to learn what a person should do. Okay. Now, um, the way I want to approach this chapter is I first would like to review the basic differences that we've learned up until now between a tzaddik, a rasha, and a bainani, so that that's clear in our mind. And then, without any um, further introductions, we're just going to start the chapter. Okay? So, we learned that when the animal soul has been um, subdued or transformed by the godly soul, that person is called a tzaddik. And that means that that person experiences no um, feelings, desires, motivations that are in any way have to do with anything other than a connection to Hashem. Okay. So to put it very simply, a tzaddik does not get hungry on Yom Kippur because eating on Yom Kippur doesn't connect you to Hashem. On the other hand, we have someone whose godly soul has either been subdued or banished by their animal soul, and that person is called a rasha. The symptom of that is that the person actually transgresses the will of Hashem, whether in the case of transgressing it in thought, in speech, or action, whether that transgression is a major transgression or a minor transgression, whether that transgression happens frequently or infrequently. The fact that the person is capable of transgressing the will of Hashem is an, an indication that the godly soul has been subjugated by the animal soul or, God forbid even worse, has been banished by the animal soul. And we also spoke that that really is not because the animal soul has itself overpowered the godly soul, but rather because the godly soul has failed to put up a sufficient defense. And then we have the banging, which is in the middle, which is someone who on the one hand, the godly soul has not subdued the animal soul. On the other hand, the animal soul is not subdued to the godly soul. And so here we divide between the inner life of the person, their intellect and emotions, where they do experience the animal soul, versus their behavior, the thought, speech, and action. That because the godly soul is inherently stronger than the animal soul, when it comes to influencing the actual decisions in life the person lives, the godly soul always wins out in terms of how the person behaves, in terms of what they choose to think about, what they choose to say, and what they choose to do. But internally, they do experience things that are contrary to godliness because the animal soul has not become subjugated in any way. That sound familiar? Okay. Um, and we spoke about how the baini, there's different levels of baini, different types of baini, okay? And so the key takeaway is that the Bainini is someone who is, because the godly soul is not subjugated in any way, they cannot sin. They cannot bring themselves to sin. Um, and ultimately what that means is that the love of the godly soul towards Hashem is strong enough to be the governing principle in how they choose to live their life. Whereas for the Russia the love that they have for Hashem is not sufficient to be the governing principle in their life. Right? Of course, the tzaddik, the love of Hashem is so powerful that it actually completely subdues or transforms the animal soul. Right? And then we elaborate on, the, on different aspects and levels and all sorts of interesting things, but that's the basic distinction. So from the outside, can you tell whether somebody, if you're observing a person, tell whether someone is a tzaddik or a benini? No. Not really. If you're examining your own inner experiences, can you tell whether someone is a tzaddik or a bainani? Well, you can tell that you're a bainani and not a tzaddik, but you can't necessarily tell that you're a tzaddik and not a bainani because it's possible, right, that the person is experiencing the love of Hashem in such a deep way because they're focusing on their connection to Hashem that they're unaware of their animal soul, but they're not really a tzaddik, right? So we spoke about the idea of a bainani who davens all day long. Um, where 
they wouldn't necessarily feel that different from a tzaddik, but that's because they're maintaining that awareness of their love for Hashem. It's not, some, not intrinsic in, in their state of mind. Okay. Ultimately, this di- the, these differences between the tzaddik, the rush, and the bainin are going to be critical for understanding what the Alter says going forward in chapter 14 about we should aspire to it, we shouldn't aspire to it, we should expect of ourselves, what we shouldn't expect of ourselves, um, and why that would be the case. Okay. All right. Is there no way to tell if you're a tzaddik from the inside? Because it could be that you're always in a state of... Yeah, realistically, if you examine, if you examine your own experiences and you only feel desires to be close to a shev, that does not prove to you that you're a tzaddik, no. There could be other things. That could prove to you that you are a tzaddik. Yeah. Okay. Should we start? Okay. The rank of Benini is one that is attainable by every man, and each person should strive after it. So there we go. Everybody can be a Benini? Yeah, you just said so. What? Yeah. And not are you capable, but you are supposed to. Yeah. Every person can at any time or hour be a Benini. Not only can you be a Bainini, but you can be a Bainini when? Always. Yeah, right now. Okay. I would like to stop at this point. So if you are not a Bainini, what does that mean? You're not living up to your full potential. You're not living up to your full potential. You're not doing what you should be doing. I would like to differentiate between those two things. What do you mean you're not living up to your full potential? It means you could be doing more and you're not, right? Now, does the Alter say here that being a Bainini is your full potential? No. After all, even Bainis, there's different levels of Bainini, right? different degrees of being a Bainini, different, right? We're going to learn in chapter 15 eventually about how a whole other aspect of being a Bainini. You're saying you can be a Baini and you should strive to be a Baini. Okay. So, and, so number one, it's attainable. Number two, you should strive for it. And number three, um, how long of a process is it to become a Baini? A momentary. So, if there is something that you're capable of doing, you should do, and you can do right now and you don't do it, can you give me like one English word to describe that? Lazy. Lazy. That's a good word. Any other words? I want to, we're going to go into the word game here. Let's go through some word game. Lazy. Fail. Failure. Good. That's another word. Yeah. Wasteful. Wasteful. Wrong. Wrong. Stupid. <laughs> Why stupid? I'm curious. I'm curious the thought process there. Like, like someone who has the opportunity has the capabilities. Why is it stupid? I'm not saying you're wrong. A smart I just want... person would go for it. Okay. You're a smart person. You mean like smart and then you have like... Foolish. Foolish. Maybe foolish. Foolish. Yeah, foolish. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear that. Okay. Okay. So... It's a pretty bad thing, then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. What do you call a bad person? A rush. rush. Well, I mean, that makes sense, right? If you're not a you're a rush. Right, but now really, it really, it really makes sense, because, like, it really makes sense. It should really make sense, because if this is something you can do, something you should do, and something you could do right now, and it's a pretty important thing to do, right, and you just don't do it, and you're pretty consistent about not doing it. <laughs> yeah, I think all of those words are yeah, good descriptions. Okay. Does anyone have any questions? <laughs> no questions. So why does he say that every man can and should? Oh. 
because you can and you should. <laughs> the why he says it is pretty simple, right? Well, in our experience, it's not. Okay, so develop this into a question, please. Okay. There are three points I want to make. He says, every, it's attainable. You should strive for it, right? And it can happen, right? At any time, right? And there's not, it's, not, it's not something you need to work on. It's not a long process. Like, completing the Talmud is not something you can do now. You can start learning now, but I don't know if you complete it. It takes time, right? Mm-hmm. But being a Bainani... You can do that now. Right now. Okay, so which of the things do you not understand? That you're capable... That you should, and that you can do it now. Which one of those? Um, the now. Um, capable. Well, the capable okay. one you're... I think it goes along with now, though. Because my question is, like, okay, probably a lot of people, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people are probably capable of running a marathon. They're not capable of running a marathon now because they have to train for it. <laughs> and so, it's not to say that they aren't capable, but you certainly wouldn't say they're capable now. Okay. <laughs> Parenthetically, you do know what happened to the first person who ran a marathon. He does. That's right. Why? Oh, right. cool. From running or from something else? From running. Yeah. Did he make it? He, he <laughs> made it there and then he died. <laughs> At least he finished. Who is this? Is this a story? Is this the Olympic? No, there was a battle. And he ran. And he was the messenger, and he had to run 26 point whatever miles to Marathon, or from Marathon, I don't remember right oh, now, to Athens, oh. to inform what happened in the battle, and he got there, and then he died from, you know. Was his name Olympus? No, no, no. Anyway, so I don't know. So if you die, and this is actually this is no, this actually is going somewhere. If if you die after running a marathon, were you capable of running a marathon? No, not really. Well, you still died. If you die, you die. It's like I could actually poison. I'll just die after. A lot of things that can do it. Can uh, so that, that's what I wanted to, that's what, that's what I want to get. No, this is, this is, in other words, are we understanding, so this is, right, is, the idea is the, is, if you're looking at something as, um, something that has happened, something that has been accomplished, something that's been achieved, or it's something about who you are. Someone who runs a marathon and dies, so were they able to move their body from point A to point B? Yes. But that came at the expense of their life, right? Is being a bandini like that? That would mean to be a bandini. Being a bandini is like something you, you can do. You put all your effort in and boom, and then you like have like a mental breakdown, and you're like now putter from all the mitzvahs in the Torah. You're not required, because you know someone who has a complete mental breakdown is not required to serve God. Ah, so if it's a state of being, it has to be the kind of thing that is... It, so what I want you to appreciate is that being a Bainini is not something you could... It has to have... Built into the idea of being a Bainini, unlike, say, the original marathon runner. The original marathon runner is somebody who was sent to inform people in one locality about what happened in another locality. And so he ran. And he got the message across and then he died. So he did the job. Being a Bainini is not that. Being a Bainini is a state of being, right? So you can't be a Bainini at the expense of your own being. That doesn't make any sense, right? Now... How you conceptualize modern running of marathon, is it to be a person who can run marathons or that you actually did it and now like, you're, you're, that's immaterial. But for our purposes, when it says that any moment you can be a Bainey, it can't just be like, like that's like your crowning achievement then poof, you like used all of your energy, all of your mental, emotional, and spiritual faculties and then you're like wiped out. Because it's not a state of being then. So when it says at every moment, it doesn't mean like just right now, you can do it right now and the next moment, the next moment. Forever. You can continuously. Okay. But still, it's like saying it doesn't take training because you can do it in one moment. So you don't right. have to. But it seems to me like, for a lot of people at least, right, you're just talking from personal experience, like there, we tell ourselves there's a lot of stuff in the way. So the idea is like, you can overcome it momentarily, but like, there's. I don't know, it seems like it takes training. A lot of what we've been learning in here is like the training that it takes to refine yourself and your actions and your, you have to refine yourself in multiple ways in order to, 
Okay, I think that's a legitimate question. That a lot of what we've described about the contemplation of the Baini during times of prayer, right? We've discussed a lot of things about it. It seems like that's something you work towards, you get to, right? It doesn't seem like it every moment. Okay. Um, so that's a fair question. What about the fact that we should strive to be a Baini? Does that seem pretty self-evident to everybody? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? We've talked a lot about truth. We should... I want to put a slightly different angle on it. If we think about a connection with Hashem, if we analogize that to like a human relationship, right? What is the equivalent of a Russia? As Tanya's described. So you know, we can use a marriage as an example because, you know, we use marriage as a good example for things. So you get married. What would be the example of being a Russia as a husband or a wife? Makes mistakes or unfaith? Those are two very different things. Well, I mean, it's... Well... It's like knowing that you made an agreement to do something and not doing it. Okay. Marriage isn't the most important thing to them, to the Russia. They're not committed. Right, not 100% committed. Right, so I wanted to differentiate. Making mistakes is a different thing. In fact, even a child, they can make a mistake. Because a mistake, and I think it's more... A mistake is an error of judgment. I was under the impression that my wife wanted particular flowers. I bought those flowers. I brought them home. It's a true story. And I asked them if she likes them. My wife, being you know, the wonderful woman she is, she says they're very nice flowers. I really like them. And I could tell she would prefer other flowers. <laughs> and so we sent one of the kids. Let me see what other flowers there are. I just get other flowers. And she got other flowers. Okay, okay, made a mistake. Like, I thought she would like these flowers. She's like, yeah, like, they're okay. Like, no, I don't like those flowers. Right? What is a Russia? What is a Russia? A Russia sets aside their connection to Hashem for something else, right? So if my wife, if my wife asks me to get flowers, and the flower guy only takes cash, right? And I don't have any cash, so I decide not to get the flowers because I don't have any cash. What do I just do? Clearly, it doesn't want to take cash. make me a wicked person? I'm an evil person? No, I don't think we would do that. But now, let's say if a person says, and I'm right now, I just want to focus on the, 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 the strive for, right? The person says, my, the kind of relationship I want with my wife is the kind where I don't feel so bad about like not doing things my wife asked me if it's slightly inconvenient. Like, you know, like, I'm not gonna like, you know, I'm not gonna like, uh, I'm not gonna like, verbally abusive and I'm not going to to be really unfaithful but like you know I think it's okay for like me to just ignore what my wife wants because it's inconvenient and like that's fine that's 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 the level of a relationship I'm striving for I'm aspiring to does that what there's something wrong about that right right now, if a person says, I aspire to a relationship where, like, what my wife wants is really important to me, what my husband wants is really important to me, and that I wouldn't set that aside for mere inconvenience. And, okay, okay, your question. That's hard to work to get to that place, and I'm striving there, and maybe I won't get there in a day. That's a different discussion, right? If a person, if a person, if a person doesn't strive for something, then ultimately that indicates it's not important to So, I want I want you to see both angles of it. There's the one hand is the is the idea is that the rush is built on a lie, and right, obviously truth is an inherent good. But the other thing is the rush is compromising the relationship with Hashem. Compromising the relationship with Hashem means that ultimately the relationship with Hashem is not important to me. 
I'm not talking around on the level of striving. Whether the person actually becomes a bane, doesn't become a bane, we'll get to that later. See? So both from an intellectual perspective, right, that truth is kind of self-understood as an inherent good, and from an emotional perspective, right, that to say, I, I don't need to be a bane. It's good enough that I, like, you know, do, don't do major sins or I only sin once in a while shows an underlying disregard and devaluing the whole connection to Hashem, which is something that on an emotional level should just be disturbing to a person who wants to be genuinely close. Those two things aren't compatible. Okay. Um, what about the fact that we're all capable of being a Bainini? Does that make sense to everybody? Setting aside the, like, we can do it right now. Make sense that we're all capable? Silence. Yeah. Why? What we've been talking about before, like the Bainani, um, essentially, we were talking about how in the struggle, um, the Bainani gets like support and help from Hashem. Right. There's a level of it. If you can get it, if you can get to a neutral place, then you can get a little bit of assistance in not sinning. So it makes sense to me that everyone would be able to get to a neutral place. Like that's that's a struggle in itself, but like Okay. Yeah. I guess if you believe in free choice, then you believe that the people Right. So I think I think it goes back to remembering the fact that we the bane doesn't there's no real requirement that the bane change the animal soul. Nothing has to be accomplished in a certain sense. So if you couple the idea that it's just, you know, godly soul versus animal soul the godly soul has within it to, to be the deciding factor in how a person lives their life, you couple that with free will, there's not much to accomplish there, seemingly. Okay. So the real, I think, difficult part of this line is that at every time, at any hour, a person can be a bane, which both means that you can do it right now and that it's sustainable. That, I, that idea that you can just do it right now and the way that it's sustainable, I think that is not... Intuitively obvious. It seems like that's something you have to work on. And I would like to remind everybody that a bainani doesn't just, it, it also includes um, unnecessary indulgences in, in the material world. In other words, even if something is not technically a sin, but serves no purpose in helping them come closer to Hashem, they also do not partake of such behaviors. Right? So does a bainani get a kosher chocolate bar to eat it just because it tastes good? No. And that really, when you really bring it down to that level of practicality, it does seem like, what do you mean? Right now I can get to a place where like, I would never do that because it distracts me from my connection to Hashem. Like, I don't know. It's very hard to see a person. Okay. So there's different ways of dealing with this issue. We're going to approach one way and only one way simply because A, I think it is the most practical and B, um, often if you have multiple interpretations of something, you become confused and jumbled in one's head. So it is better when you're learning something to often learn one explanation. But I just want to be clear. I don't want you to think of this as a, this is the authoritative explanation. This is one explanation. So it's like when you learn Chumash. Which commentary do you learn Chumash with? Rashi. Rashi. Is that because Rashi is the authoritative commentary on the Chumash? Like if, you, if anybody disagrees with Rashi, like they're, they're wrong. because. No. No. Whatever the reasons are, Rashi is considered the commentary that we start with is the basic commentary, right? But there's other commentaries and they disagree and you can understand why, what's the virtue of Rashi's interpretation, what are its downsides, why does the Ramban disagree, right? You can get into that level of learning, but, but first you should just, you know, learn the Chumash with one straightforward. So we're going to do that. We're going to learn this section here, okay, using one explanation. And again, there are other ways of, of addressing this issue, but we're going to just focus on this one. Okay? And for that, I want to teach you some Hebrew words. We have to depart from the translation. So I will use the marker to write the words on the board.
are two different words. Okay. I'm going to. Okay. Um, one is mochos and one is mida. Okay. The these words sometimes you can just ignore the differences between these words, but I want to actually talk about these two different words. Um, I want to explain what they are rather than just give you a single translation. Okay. We're going to start with the word mohus. The word mohus has the word ma in it. You see the word ma in the beginning? So ma means? What? I'm asking you. Very good. Okay, so mohus means the whatness of something. So you can use fancy words like essence or character um, or substance. There's different ways you can, but the mohus is, the mohus of something is what makes it be what it is. The, the word mohos um, in our context I wanna I wanna talk about mohos in terms of how it applies to people. So we can talk about the mohos of, of of a person in as much as they're a person. But I want, I want to talk about the verse of the person as an individual and I'll explain to you the difference, right? So what is a person is universal. Whatever person is, whatever the answer is, what makes a person a person, what is the humanity of a, humanity be the most of a person, whatever that is, is going to be true of all people, right? Mm -hmm. So in that sense, um, we're looking at the kind, the species. But then we're also the notion that we're all individuals, okay? And we're individuals in a way that, not like these markers are individuals, right? These are all markers. They're different colors, right? They're different in some way. But we think fundamentally they're all the same, right? Um, I'm, I'm sure we all have an appreciation that every person is an individual. And as much as they're an individual, um, there's something about them that makes them who they are. That makes sense? That makes them different from other people. Now, when I... Now... That... Can go on, uh, that, can, that can go on multiple levels. So we can talk about what makes you who you are to the level of you as a unique individual. Or we also can talk about the middle ground where we don't have like you as a unique individual. We don't have you as just generic human being. But there's who you are, even though there are other people that are also, that's kind of who they are as well. Okay, so for instance, some people are honest people. What would it mean that someone is b'muchusay? That what makes them who they are, part of what makes them who they are is their honesty. What kind of person is that? That's not just a person who's, who, who's, who says the truth and doesn't lie, right? Because the mere fact that someone said something true and doesn't lie doesn't make them. What would it mean to be an honest person? They can't be dishonest. They can't be dishonest. Why can't they be dishonest? With their what? Right. The way they're? The way they're structured, right? Now, there's something about the way they experience themselves, the way they see themselves, right? That to be dishonest would to be violating them, be a violation, would be denial of who I am. It would be to, to, in a psychological sense, erase myself. Someone who's that kind of relationship with honesty, you can say that there's their mohus is honesty, or honesty is part of their mohus, if you don't want to just limit it to one thing. Does that make sense? Um, and so in that context, you maybe would say something like character, right? Okay. Um, are we honest people? Uh, no, you can't be honest, you can't be an honest, in mohus. It's, yeah, it's kind of like that. What? Right. So first off, if you if, if you if you if you're not if you're not honest, if you if you can be dishonest, if you're dishonest, then then it's clearly not your mahos. But even if you're not dishonest, but you could be dishonest. It's just like you manage not to be dishonest for a you know, 
still not that. Um, and so if someone, if, if you have the assumption that someone's was that they're honest and then they were dishonest, that would be very shocking, right? That make sense? Okay. Now, honesty is a complicated thing, right? Because I, I think the more you go into honesty, you realize that honesty is not just the mere t- statement of facts. Like you say, you know, it's like someone who says, well, like, like, their wife asks them, do I look fat in this dress? And he says, yes, you do. I'm, I'm honest. Right? I, I think we all understand that like that, that is a very like shallow understanding of what honesty is. So I don't, I don't mean to say that a person who who's, is honest as, as a, means that there they kind of this rigidity that they have to say exactly the things as they see like that's just silly. Um, they can be very creative of how they go about maintaining that honesty and you know, it makes them a full fledged person. Okay, um, we are now in the summer in the land of Israel. What is different between the summer and the winter? Rain and no rain. Rain and no rain. It's not always hot in the summer. It doesn't rain. Now, I remember, was it, I think two years ago, after Pesach, it rained one day. Slight drizzle, and everyone was in shock. Because? It doesn't rain. It doesn't rain. It just doesn't. So, can a person's mahus change? On this level. Sure. Why not? You get a person who changes the relationship with, say, honesty to such a degree that they become an honest person. It's not a simple thing to do, but could that happen? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it would go the other way. Yeah, because even if you're acting contrary to... Yeah, you're still just like being inauthentic. You, you, it doesn't change what being authentic is. So that's a, that's a more interesting way. I would argue that even that you could change both ways. But if it rains in the summer, it's still characteristic of the summer not to rain. It's just that it was being like... Right, weird. well, the, the, right. No, but the... the, the, but the, the, the no, but... It rains all the time in the summer? No, the reason why I brought that example is because eventually the summer stops being the summer and becomes mm-hmm. the winter. And eventually the winter... Stops being the winter, becomes the summer. A person who wasn't honest could become honest, and a person who was not honest, or who was honest, could become not honest. Now, those are those are those make interesting stories, right? If you read novels or watch movies, those kinds of shifts make a narrative, right? Right. So, like this, if somebody walks in into a situation and says something honest, and then he walks in another situation and says something dishonest, that's not interesting. Because that's just a change in situation. The, yeah, different situations. They behave differently. You're fine. Like whatever. But if somebody is their muhus is that they're an honest person, and then they go through some process by which that changes, they become a not honest person, or vice versa. Someone who's not an honest person goes through some kind of change and they become an honest person. Right. That in and of itself, like that, makes a story. I mean, you have to fill in the details, right? How it happens. Right. But that's that's a narrative. The change from like, you know, the weather one day to the next is like, whatever. A, you know. But then there's this notion of the season has shifted. Right? So there is a level of like my muhus as an individual that's unique to me and which I'm completely unknowable and comparable to anybody else. I'm not talking about that. And there's a notion of my muhus as a person which is generic to what it is to be a human being writ large. But then there is this, this thing that there's the kind of, kind of person that we really are. And again, using honesty as an example, you could also say kind. So for instance, it says about, it says about um, Beishamai, that Beishamai was an honest person. So, there used to be a custom that when one would go to a wedding, the men would praise the bride in front of the groom was a custom. Say nice things about the bride in front of the groom at the wedding celebrations. So the Mishnah asks, how should one do this? So Beishamai 
view is that how should you praise the bride? Say the truth. Say the truth. as she is. So if she's not particularly gorgeous, you should not compliment her looks. If she's not particularly bright, you don't compliment her intelligence. Makes sense, right? Basil disagreed. Basil said, how should you praise the bride? She's, tell her she looks pretty. Kind and beautiful. Kind and beautiful. What if she's not kind and beautiful? Say it anyway. Say it anyway, because... Ah, because, no, so, so this is the thing. It's not that Basil is, not that Basil is saying you should lie, but Basil was not, the, the honesty was not his most. So again, there's a, you not shouldn't lie, right? You shouldn't make stuff up, but there's a different thing. For instance, if you're kind, if you're kind, you tend to look at things with much more of an eye towards the subjective experience of others. So this man is marrying this woman, right? And for argument's sake, let's assume that this is not being coerced upon them. So presumably he thinks she looks nice. He thinks she has a nice personality, right? And it's important for him to like really lean into that subjective experience. And so to him, she's beautiful and kind and like that's what you should talk about. Yeah. Even though in some sort of like, you know, societal sense, like she's not winning a beauty contest and most people can't stand her. <laughs> right. And it's an interesting argument. The point I bring out is that, 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 that someone, someone can understand that it's important to be honest and not to lie, but that doesn't, that doesn't reflect their whole their whole being, their whole character, their mahus of who they are. And so therefore, they adjust the notion of you know, being honest and not lying into the perspective of the kindness and compassion that, that, that reflects who they are. Right? Avram Avinu was very concerned about re- reaching out to others and touching others and connecting to others because his mahus was that he was a kind person. A kind person, when no one else is around, still has others on their mind. Their people are not kind. Not that they're cruel, they're just not kind. They can, they can do nice things, they can help other people, they appreciate it, it's important. But inside, like, they're, they live in a world that's not so outwardly focused. Very different. The Rambam says something very interesting. When a person does tshuva, complete tshuva, and then someone points out their sins, which they should not do, by the way. You should not point out the sins of someone who's done complete shuva. What should the person who's done shuva respond? I didn't do that. That wasn't me. I didn't do that. What do you mean you didn't do it? You did do that. I mean, if you heard somebody, you have to pay. You're still responsible, right? What it means is that real shuva transforms not just the person's actions, but the person's... Essence. It's not the essence of who they are. No, but this level of mahus... What makes you who you are on that level of, of personality, that level of character? What makes you, you know, that before Tshuva, I was a person who I could blow Hashem off and say it doesn't matter. And after Tshuva, Hashem is the most important thing to me. Like those, that's a big change. Now, if you haven't done complete Tshuva, then you maybe, you know, maybe, maybe we're the same, are the same person. Does this make sense what we're talking about when we're saying Mohos? Mm-hmm. Okay. What is a midah? A midah literally means a measure. Right. What is a measurement? A certain amount of something. A certain amount of something. A quantification. Mm-hmm. A qu- what? It involves comparing. Yeah, that's what I want to get. Measurement involves comparing. Um, you, you know, you cannot, you cannot give a, actually let's do it this way, it's a little bit more grounded, do it this way. In halacha, all the measurements are, are um, connected to things. So for instance, how much matzah do you have to eat? A kizayis, right? What's a kizayis? Like an olive. Like an olive, right? I mean, the volume of an olive, or according to some things, the weight of an olive. Okay. How much wine do you have to drink? A fourth. A fourth. Fourth of what? It's called a fourth, but a fourth of what? 
they're like one grand okay. um, I, you asked about the height of the table right? mm-hmm. and I said 80 centimeters so that's an interesting like very specific so the actual halacha is it has to do with 10 hand breaths um, and m- most halachic authorities of view that at least when it comes to the main letter of the law a hand breath is, is 8 centimeters Okay? But these are all things in terms of other things, right? Something on its own has no measure. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Now, we, we're used to this notion of abstract measurement, like inches or feet or meters or centimeters. Um, but if you think about it, like, what is an inch or what is a second or what is a meter? You immediately have to come one thing in terms of something else. That's what it is. It's, 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 a, no, it's a way of quantifying how to compare things. What is your reviews? of what? Um, a revius is a fourth of a loik, if I remember correctly. Now, have you ever, anyone here do any baking or cooking? Mm-hmm. So cups, teaspoons, right? But these kinds of things are like, because like people had spoons, like so, and, you know, you have a spoon for like eating, right? And you have a cup for drinking, right? So... So you get these things. A foot was how long is between one foot and another foot when you know, the average man walks. Barley corns, common thing they used to have. Measure things by barley corns for small measurements. You line them up against each other. My favorite halachic measurement is how many hairs. Like width? No. And on a person's skin, there's hair. And so you can measure the distance from one hair coming out of the skin to another hair coming out of the skin. <laughs> so there's certain things in Allah will tell you it's like three hairs by three hairs and, like, and it gives you something oh yeah okay so you can look at it okay now I know what you're talking about because it turns out that, that you know human, human hair tends to be um, relatively evenly spaced is it synchronized across people? It, there's averages for most things actually interesting precise measurements are not really necessary um Modern technology requires a lot more precise measurements. Um, but, no. <laughs> what? Yes, well, if the hair is not thick, you don't see it as much. That's true. Well, I clearly, clearly this is why, clearly this is why you need to have male family members. Right? How else are you supposed to measure how many hairs? <laughs> okay. You understand the idea? Okay. So when we're talking about the measure of something, we're looking for something a little bit more external, a little bit more something to say, oh, okay, I, I, you know, I, I can compare this to that. This is like this. This is like that. Right? Um, so what would be the mida of an honest person? Someone whose muhus is honest. What would be their, what would be their mida? They would say honest things and do honest things. Yeah, exactly. like a person, a person who's most honest, right? when it comes to any situation, right, they're not going to lie. They're going to say things that are truthful, right? That's what they're going to do, right? But does simply doing that make you an honest person? No, it's just the media. Do you see the difference? Because I can, I can, like, I can look at it and I say, okay, I want to like say, okay, who's more honest? Well, this person lies all the time and this person only lies when it's like a serious issue and this person never lies. Like, I, like, I'm, so the me is much more of an external, um, measurable kind of a thing. Whereas the mohos is really indicative of, of what it really is. And frankly, um, it, it's, it's, it's hard to get at mohus. It's hard to get at the mohus of somebody because if somebody, let's say somebody is honest, is that they're really an honest person or is that in this situation the person made a choice to be honest? You just haven't come around to one. Right? That's not an easy thing to differentiate. Make sense? Mm-hmm. It's like if you walk outside one day and it's raining... Or sorry, let's do it the other way. It's easier. You walk one side and it's not raining. It's like today's weather, right? If... I, you know nothing about Yerushalayim, dropped you today's weather, would you know whether it's summer or winter in Yerushalayim, in today's weather? No. 
No. Like, because you could have weather like today in, in the middle of December in Yerushalayim. You could. But then it would be, you know, a little bit abnormal. Or you could have it after Pesach, which is a pretty normal kind of thing. You have to have weather that's a little bit cool, and then it gets hotter, but, you know, a little bit foggy in the morning, but then it clears out right away. It's not going to rain, right? Make sense? Okay. So, what is the mida? What or what is a mida of a smart of, of, of a wise person? He's wise first. A mida of a wise person. Plans ahead. Okay, I want to use a different one. They could. Our sages say this, by the way. They learn from others. They don't speak in front of those who are greater than them, right? They don't speak a lot. They don't speak a lot in general, right? They're just modeling around the rap, right? First things first. Now, does that, right? These things first, second things second. So if you see a person who does first things first, second things second, they don't speak in front of those who are greater than themselves. They're learning from other people. Um, they don't talk a lot, just blabber around, right? Does that necessarily mean they're a wise person? Mm-hmm. No, but they are certainly adopting the mida the measure of a wise person, right? They're certainly conducting themselves in the manner of a wise person. But if they were really wise, that would be innate. That would be, that would, that, that, that would, that wouldn't be something they would have to work on and maintain. That would be their, the way they operate. That would be who they are, right? The, in other words, somebody reads what our sages say that a wise person doesn't speak in front of those who are greater than themselves and besides well I'm not going to speak in front of those who are greater than me it doesn't make them wise the wise person doesn't speak in front of those greater than them because they're wise not because they read it in Pirkei Yavis see the difference? okay so I will now like you to look in the Hebrew the chapter 14 Pirkei Dalet and we'll look in the Hebrew and tell me do you see the word muhus? It says, Hine midas habenani. The mida of the benani, he midas kol adam, is the mida of every person. Vachare kol adam yimshech. And after which every person should be drawn. So, in what sense can a person be a benani? That every person can be a benani at all times, at all moments. In what sense? In the Hebrew. Right. That, in other words, if we were to say, okay, if you were a Bainani, what would be the measure of that? What would, what would be the symptom of that? How would that? How would that play out? Can you, in other words, conduct yourself as a Bainani? Yes. And you could do that when? Yeah. Now. However, does that transform who you are so that you can say that you truly are a Bainani, that you are Muhus, that is your character of who you are, that is, that, is, that is how you experience yourself, that's how you see yourself? Is that something that's attainable to every person every moment, every hour? Mm-hmm. No. Right. So, what I want to do is going forward is to differentiate between the Mida of the Bainani, the trait of the Bainani, the measure of the Bainani, versus the Muhus of Bainani, the essence of the Bainani, the character of the Bainani. The Alter Rebbe here is not saying that you can become a person who their mohus, the character, who they are, is a Baini. Now, what do we say a Baini was? A Baini is a person who cannot. cannot sin. They have a psychological block that doesn't allow them to sin. That psychological block comes from their awareness of Hashem and their love for Hashem. Can you right now generate that block in such a way that that had becomes a defining characteristic of who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. Right now, in a way that will sustain and last. Can you just do that? I, I think it's pretty intuitively obvious. Most of us cannot. It doesn't seem very obvious that we can just do that. But there's a separate question. If you had that block, how would you deal with your animal soul? And there would be a way in which you wouldn't listen to it because there are a lot of ways of not listening. In other words, someone who was a Baini, how do they then approach their animal soul? And can you approach your animal soul, deal with your animal soul the same way that a Baini would? Go back to the idea of the person who's a 
a wise person, a chacham, right? A person who's a wise person, they don't speak in front of those who are greater than them. If you're not wise, can you still recognize that someone is greater than you and decide, you know what? Probably should act like the wise person and not speak in front of those who are greater than you, right? You could do that. I don't have to wait till I become wise. To be wise to wise, oh, that is a good question. That is a good question. That is a good question. I would like to point out, though, that the Alter Rebbe here did not address that as the topic of the beginning of the chapter. He, Why did he start like that? What? Why did he start like that? Because this chapter is going to be about what we should be, um, what, is it? what we should be trying to do. If I have failed to become a Bainini, in the sense that my muhus, my character, right, the essence of who I am, not in the deepest, deepest sense, the unchangeable part, but who I am is not, as the Altar describes in chapter 12 of Tanya, someone who can never sin. Because my love of Hashem, my awareness of the truth is so clear, so true, however I change. If that's not something that... I have achieved. Is it correct to describe me as a failure? Is it correct to describe me as stupid? Is it correct to describe me as lazy? Is it correct to describe me as all of those things? No. Because, for a very simple reason, is that something that I can do right now? Okay, I'm gonna come back, I'm gonna, we're gonna come back to, to, to this idea as we go through the chapter. On the other hand, if the meat of the Bainini, the trade of the Bainini, the measure of the Bainini, in other words, a person who has that, the way they deal with their animal soul, is something I could do what the Bainini does, and I could do it now, and I don't do it now, well then, yeah, that is a failure. That is being foolish and stupid and lazy. Can every person become eventually? Yes. Oh, so actually, we think about it. Um, it's already been addressed, but it's not been addressed so explicitly. So I'm gonna I'm gonna spend the last little bit of class talking about it, and then on Tuesday we'll continue inside. How do you become wise? How do you become honest? About honesty. I mean, you could learn about honesty practice and be, honesty. practice honesty. Mm-hmm. Now, you could practice honesty in two ways. First off, learning about it won't help. You have to be practicing it. But then practicing itself, there are two ways you can practice honesty or practice being wise. One way is you're practicing it as a code of conduct, a behavior, right? And the other is that you are trying to inhabit that, to live up to that. And what happens over time is that people actually change. I mean, you use this is not this is not a, a perfect analogy, but it, but it, but it, it, it's a helpful illustration. The Rambam says, if a person is, let's say, a person is very, um, they have a, they they have a character trait that they don't like, they would like to get rid of, to change. How should they change it? Let's say, let's say they're not very generous. They're stingy. And they want to become more generous. So what does the Raman recommend? Anyone know what the Raman recommends? Be very, very generous. Be very generous. Be extra generous. Like, you know, unreasonably generous. Is that going to make you generous? I'm asking, do you really think that's going to make you generous? You're a stingy person, and now you're going to, like, force yourself to, like... Doesn't sound like it would why? So, like, certain things go What? If you're doing a lot more than you're comfortable with, the snapping back will be somewhere in the middle, right? Like, Th- that's, a, that's a, yeah, but, 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 but why? Why will the snapping back be somewhere in the middle? Because you've, like, stretched your limits, so now the normal thing will be a little bit less conservative, perhaps? So, there, 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 there's two issues. There's one thing is valuing something, and the other is actually having it being part of you. If you force yourself to do something that you don't really value for an ulterior motive, 
it will create resentment and backlash. So knows I don't genuinely, so it's like this, this is a, this is a problem. I don't genuinely want to be more generous. I though would like to be perfect. I would like to be ideal. I would like to be able to think of myself as the ultimate human being. And it happens to be in the holy books that generosity is considered to be like a good thing. So I need to have more generosity. Not because I actually have value generosity and see that there's some sort of moral failing that I'm not generous, but because my lack of generosity somehow deflates myself a sense of self-perfection. So now I force myself to be extra generous. So what does that do to my attitude towards generosity? Ge- towards generosity then? Nothing. Nothing? It has, I would say that does something. It actually has, has an effect. And the effect is it makes me... Hate giving your... It, it makes me hate being generous because, because I keep constantly reinforcing about how there's this thing which I don't have which is, makes me imperfect and like, I'm forcing myself to do it. And just... On the other hand, what happens if you really value something but it's very alien to you? Like, for instance, it really bothers you that you're not generous. It really bothers you that you're stingy. Like, you really bother, like, you feel like, like, ick. But why would you, if you value it, then why wouldn't you be generous? Because human beings have two different parts of themselves. They have a mind which allows them to perceive things, the truth, and then they have um, their, their personality, their emotion, their, their, their temperament. So if you think about it like this, if you really want to be generous, you really want, like you value it, it's a good thing. It bothers you that you're not generous because you you appreciate the the goodness of generosity, right? Okay. So, and then from that headspace, you push yourself to act generous in a radical way. What are you doing? Getting comfortable with it. You're getting comfortable with it. You're pushing yourself to get comfortable with it. And you're actually doing two things. You're pushing yourself to get comfortable with it and freeing yourself from the previous state. Right? And there's actually two elements going on there. Because if you're being radically generous, you're also, you're also letting go of the stinginess. But that works because the issue is not one of value. The issue is just one of familiarity. Does that make sense? That you, 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 have to, you have to inhabit you. You have to partake of it. So what if I really value, I really value like being close to Hashem, not, the, not, not like it's really important to me to try and be close to Hashem, not to, not to compromise my relation with Hashem. It's something like really, not, not because, ooh, then I'll get the algorithm of a stamp of approval, not that I'll get to be perfect, because that's important to me. But the facts of the matter are that like, I have an animal soul, and the animal soul is very, very strong, and my godly soul is, is unfortunately quite subdued. What would be the way to solve that problem? Okay, well, let's pretend my godly soul wasn't so subdued. How would then I deal with my animal soul? Okay, do that. Again, and again, and again, and again, and live life like that again, and again, and again, and lean into it, and embrace it. What will happen over time? It becomes more and more who you are. And at some point you can say that really is who that person is. Maybe it'll take five years. Maybe it'll take 50 years. Maybe it'll take 500 years and you drop dead before it happens. But that's beside the point. In other words, is aspiring, is aspiring to, to, um, to the trait of a Baini, the measure of a Bainini, really something separate than working on becoming a Baini as part of your character, as your muhus of who you are? No. If, you, if you're, you realize you're not wise, right? You realize you're not wise. You speak in front of people who know more than you. You do things out of order. You don't, you don't realize people have what to teach you, right? You blab a lot, right? You realize you're not a wise person, right? And it starts to bother you, right? So you start working on it, right? You're not working directly on being wise, but you're working on living a life as a wise person lives, and then the innate capacity to be wise starts to manifest itself. And maybe it fully transforms you, and maybe it doesn't, and like, on a certain level, that's almost beside the point. Okay. I'm gonna give you one other example, because I think this is extremely important, and the other example is being a wife and being a mother. 
Um, we, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm grouping them together, but I only talked about mother. But you can take everything I say and copy it to wife. Okay. What does it mean to be a good mother? Take care of your children. Is that the midah of a good mother or is that the mahus of a good mother? What's the mahus of a mother? Only is a strong well, word. What the most important thing. Okay. Most important thing, maybe. A friend of my wife just had a baby. She's like the first child in her 30s. And so she's, she says, it's like a whole new role. My wife says, it's not a role. Because a role you can like take off afterwards. <laughs> you can adopt to take it off. It's, it, it's not a role. It's, it's a, yeah. Okay. Now, yeah, there's, there's someone who really sees that, you know, this is this. This is my child, I'm their mother, like, like, and they see themselves that way, like, that, that very much defines who they are and their place in the world and all these things. Okay, fine. Should you work on trying to, when you have children, should you work on trying to be that, become that kind of person? Mm-hmm. Well, think about this. If you work on trying to become that kind of person, then you get very wrapped up in who? Yourself. Yourself. Okay. What should you work on? Yeah. Taking care of your children. But taking care of your children in such a way that you're just doing it because that's required of you. Take care of it because you value that it you you, you you value what it is to be a mother. So you're gonna try and take care of your children. And then the more you genuinely take care of your children, the more that that settles and then you can do the same thing with, with, with being a wife. In other words, even though the mohus of a baini and the mid of a baini, the mohus of a wise person, the mid of a wise person, the mohus of a mother and the mid of a mother are very different. And there's one is much more internal and deep and one's more superficial. You don't really become something by some other process. You become that way because you have a more sincere relationship with living that way. So the more authentic, more sincere way you relate to the midah of being a good mother, the midah of being wise, the midah of being honest, or the midah of the bainani, what ends up happening? A shift in how the person, who the person is inside occurs. And at some point, one could say, this is no longer that person. You're, you're, it's, it's a shift, you're not the same person. It's, it's... At, at some point we say it's not just, you know, it's not just, it's not raining today. It's not the rainy season anymore. This doesn't rain anymore. It's just not, it's a different season, it's a different climate. It's, it's the end of it. And this is what's very important. Does the altar say our task is to try and to get to that point where we can say, ah, I am not a Russia because I've transformed my character to be a Baini. Is that what we're supposed to be working on? No. What are we supposed to be working on? Right. If you, if you had what was going on inside of a Bainani, how would, you, how, would, how would you deal with your animal soul? Work on living that way. And the more you work on living that way and, 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 and really making, and embracing that and connecting to that, eventually what's going to happen, it becomes more and more of who we are to the point that you can say, you're not the same person anymore. And so this is, this is the thing. As far as the Alter Rebbe is concerned, if you never become a Bainani in your Mahus, should you be considered a failure? No. no. On the other hand, if at any moment you choose not to adopt the approach, the measure, the trait, the mead of the Bainani, and how the Bainani deals with their animal soul, should you consider that to be failure? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if it becomes less demanding or, less, or easier or whatever, but it becomes, I think, somewhat more realistic. But that sounds like it could make a person snap. Well, then the question is how to do that. We didn't, right? The question is how do you do that, right? I, I clearly, I think it's from there that, that a simple like white-knuckling willpower is not the way to be a Bainani, right? Because that clearly is not a... That's something that is a useful technique for a certain circumstances, but it's not ongoing for a person to live like that. 
Okay, so that's what Alter was going to go on to describe. He's going to describe what is the meat of a Bainani? How do you do that meat of a Bainani? Obviously, if you then incorporate that to the things that we've learned previously about a Bainani, broadening it out, right? And that's going to all be contrasted against what the tzaddik's meat is. What is what's going on with the tzaddik? What is the what what is the tzaddik doing that's fundamentally different than the bainani? That's not so up to, That's not something that everybody should be attempting. Or we'll see. Maybe they should be attempting. We'll get to that. Okay. So I, I would think it's very important to shift from becoming a bainani, as if you you've achieved this this status, to approaching life and approaching situations, approaching each moment with a certain um, direction, a certain technique, a certain um, method of how you're going to deal with things. And even if you're doing that in a very artificial way, okay, but you're acting like a baby. The person who's not an honest person, but they make a decision to approach the situation honestly is acting as an honest person acts. And if they do that while valuing honesty over and over and over and over and over and over again, they eventually become an honest person. So in that sense, is it clear that um, at every moment one can be a Bainani, if we understand it that way? Okay, now, is this the only way to explain that issue? It's not the only way to explain this issue, but that's the one we're gonna approach, that's how we're gonna learn the chapter. Midas Abaini, the trait, the measure of the Bainani, which is more external, it's the, how the Bainani approaches something rather than the Mahus, that internal sense, I cannot sin. What makes a Bainani a Bainani is a sense, I cannot sin. And to, to, to bring a person to that state in a way that at every moment, and at all moments, they always have that, that, that's a lofty achievement. But how would I deal with my animal soul if I had that? That's something we can all do by exercising our maturity and free will, as Alkib has been going to say. Good? Right. I will see you on Tuesday, and um, we'll continue, and then Wednesday we will have questions and answers.